This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Episode 13 starts now. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. I am Justin Connors, and as always, I am here with... Jamie Green. Sensational Jamie Green. Ooh, I'm sensational this week. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, today, today we're joined by... Uh, a walking, literally a walking encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge who wrote an encyclopedia. Jamie, why don't you tell us about our guest? Yeah, this is great. We've got Adam Bray um, on the show this week. And um, Adam comes from a, a, a long history of travel guide writing. Uh, he's written for um, more than 10 different publishers about travel guides, mostly in Asia, um, where he lived for a, um, almost a decade. So he is very familiar with that region. Um, and then uh, through his work with DK, uh, the publisher DK, who has also done some, also does some travel guides, um, he has uh, parlayed that into uh, a very lucrative Star Wars writing uh, career. Um, he's written uh, Star Wars: What Makes a Monster, which is a, a adorable little book um, about the Star Wars monsters, and it's sort of like a field guide um, to those to those fictional monsters as if they were real. Uh, he's written uh, Star Wars Rebels, the visual guide, and he was one of the four co-authors on the brand new Ultimate Star Wars, um, which is basically um, the most beautiful encyclopedia you'll ever see. Um, so this is great. We're just going to launch right into it. Why don't we just start off by um, having you talk a little bit about your background and how you came to both writing as a career and to Star Wars in particular? Sure. Um, well, I guess it's been about uh, 12 years ago. Um, I went uh, overseas. Um, I went to uh, visit a family member in uh, China and uh, then uh, went, went traveling around uh, Southeast Asia. I uh, went to Thailand and uh, Cambodia and ended up in Vietnam. And uh, I liked the country so much, I decided just to, to stay put there for a while. So I, I was a web designer. I, I started uh, designing local tourism websites. And um, after a while, uh, various publishers and media outlets started noticing the sites I did. So they'd asked me if I could work on uh, their, their guidebooks uh, or write, write a travel article for them or something. Because I, I was writing a lot of my own stuff uh, uh, stories for my sites or blogging and whatnot. So uh, I got into guidebook writing and then uh, did uh, a bunch of stuff for uh, CNN's travel section on their website and uh, did bits for uh, a few articles for National Geographic online and various ones. And uh, But then uh, after about uh, seven, eight years, I decided to move back to the U.S. Um, but one of the publishers that I uh, had written travel or I'd worked on travel guides for was uh, DK, who uh, does my uh, my Star Wars books now. And uh, though I though it's all the same publisher, it's it's a really big publisher being part of uh, Penguin uh, Random House now. So it, I didn't know how to make make that switch. So fortunately, I got in touch with uh, Ryder Wyndham and uh, he, he put me in touch. He's, he's one of the big uh, longtime uh, uh, authors, Star sure. Wars authors. I think I think he, I think he was editor at Dark Horse, maybe he was, yeah. um, for a while. 
Yeah. So, so he, he got me hooked up with the right person. And then, uh, I, my first book was, um, Star Wars, what makes a monster, uh, which was a, a small, uh, book for ages eight to 12 about all the, all the creatures, uh, in the Star Wars movies. And then I was thrilled and amazed, uh, when my second book was, uh, the rebels visual guide. And then, uh, just kind of went on through there. It's just gotten bigger and, and better. And, uh, I'm really excited about where things are going. Have you always been a Star Wars fan? Was that something that you knew you wanted to eventually devote a lot of time and energy to? Yeah, I I have been. Um, I guess my my earliest memories, uh, most of them involve Star Wars. Uh, you know, my my first birthday party, I remember getting the Millennium Falcon and all those original Star Wars figures. Um, and I remember seeing the, the movie at a drive-in uh, theater with my parents. I'm not sure if it was the first run or not, because I, I would have been pretty young. I think just like, like maybe three years old. But but I, I remember, you know, the Jawas carrying R2-D2 and uh, just seeing, you know, the big screen out in front of the car. And uh, But, yeah, I've been, been a lifelong fan. Um, I think, uh, you know, in the... 90s, you know, I I, I kind of thought Star Wars had gone away, that maybe we'd never see it again. It, it, uh, back then, not having the internet, you know, you don't get the rumors back then like you do now. So uh, when I was in college, it kind of hit me by surprise when uh, when uh, the special editions came out and then I heard that the, the new movies were coming. But being over, overseas, um, I kind of fell out of the loop for those seven or eight years. The the Clone Wars, actually, the I was here in the U.S. to see the first two prequels, uh, but uh, the um, Revenge of the Sith came out while I was overseas. I saw I saw that in Vietnam, uh, and then Clone Wars I had to catch uh, on iTunes uh, while I was living over there. That's so, that, that's uh, funny. Yeah, I, I came back and I. Yeah, yeah, I came back and got caught up real fast. Yeah, no, that's funny because um, I was also overseas when episode three came out and I saw it. I was living in China at the time. And I remember when it was, I was, even though I was not a huge fan of episodes one and two, I still needed to see episode three, obviously. And I think it was showing in one theater in Shanghai where I was living. And uh, I, of course, made a point to get down there as soon as I could. And I think to this day, it's still probably the only time that I've seen the movie. <laughs> I really should watch it again, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny because um, about that time, you know, the movies that came to to Vietnam, they they caught up with the rest of the world with with civilization really quick. It used to be they'd only get the B movies or or you know our our A movies, you know, a year or two later but then very quickly they started getting them the same time that we did um but for some bizarre reason uh, they just they just decided it would be auspicious or something to uh to show star wars revenge of the sith six, six months late um <laughs> uh, i never figured that out because with with piracy and you know asia's famous for you oh, know yeah. selling pirated dvds and things so everyone in the country had already seen it you know by the time it was in theaters there but uh yeah i managed managed to see it while i was there yeah i think i could have gone i think it came out almost at the same time as it came out 
you know, when it was the rest of the world. But I probably could have gone to see it in the theater and then bought it on DVD on the way home. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right outside the theater. Right. Right on the street. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back back to you were talking about your first book, What Makes a Monster. Um, like who came up with that idea? Did they come to you with it or was it something that you had in your head that you wanted to pitch to them? No, it, uh, it was something they had come up with. Um, that was, uh, oh, I, these kind of these, these weeks and months and years are starting to run together now, now that I'm working on it all. Uh, maybe, maybe it was about uh, two years ago I was working on it, something like that. Um, but I don't think uh, I don't remember if the Disney purchase had had happened yet or had just happened, and so things were still pretty much on. You know, Star Wars and Lucasfilm were on the same course they always had been. So uh, yeah, it was one of those titles. I'm I'm not sure if whether they would do something like that now or not. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fun title focusing on uh, all, all six movies. And uh, they uh, after I got in touch with them right away, they said, hey, we've got this book um, that uh, we would like you to do. And, uh, you know, it fit my interest just perfectly because I had always been about, you know, my my big thing was you know the monsters the the aliens uh in star wars and i i I have a biology degree and you know wildlife background so all that all that kind of thing just suits me so it was was the perfect start uh for me well it also seems like a a natural fit given your background because it's for you know anybody listening who, who is not familiar with the book it's it's almost like a field guide you know, like it's like the the old Audubon Society books. You know, you get and you try to identify animals. It's almost like a field guide for the monsters of Star Wars, and sort of walks you through as if they were real creatures, and comparing them to one another, and what do they eat, and where do they live, the climate, and the environment. Um, and so, somebody with like you, who's coming from you know travel guide background, it seems like a real natural fit. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I couldn't have you know come up with something more perfect for me if i had pitched it so it was, it was just amazing it was amazing that they needed uh some some something like that done just just at the time i came in and uh yeah it was a lot of fun because uh we we i stuck to the the creatures from the movies um but uh they, i had to you know i needed some statistics at, at the end of the book um They've got, you know, the, the, the biggest and fastest and strongest and uh, a different, uh, you know, comparisons. And uh, so they, they let me make up some new statistics for uh, the various wildlife to, to kind of fill that out. So that was a lot of fun to try to figure out, you know, as realistically as possible, you know, how, how fast might, you know, a creature run or how big might it actually get or how, how long would it actually live. So that was pretty cool to start right away getting to, you know, kind of add to the, the lore of Star Wars. How, that, that's interesting. How much freedom did you have, or do they sort of give you like, the, you know, like the the wampa must be bigger than you know the tauntaun, or you know, like did they give you like sort of facts and figures that you had to follow? Um, they were they were pretty loose with it. Uh, it was my first book, so I was kind of 
trying to feel things out and I didn't really know where the boundaries were. They just told me to kind of stick to the movies um, as, as opposed to, you know, talking about things from uh, the Clone Wars at the time because we didn't cover anything from that. Uh, but the thing, uh, the thing about the creatures, um, but you find this anything you're writing, is a, a lot of what we think we may know as fans about them, we don't learn in the movies. We we learn from what we used to call the expanded universe. Um, and I've I've acquired a, a lot of uh, you know great reference books, um, Star Wars books. Uh, particularly, there's a, another wildlife guide by artist Terrell Whitlatch who designed a lot of the creatures from the prequels, especially the Phantom Menace. And uh, she she drew out all. All, all the animals for the whole Star Wars saga in this uh, wildlife guide and made up a lot of information uh, for it, which is now part of the expanded universe or legends. And I found that when I was writing that book uh, that I, I had to draw from a lot of that. So so I was mixing things in that, that were not from the movies and they, you know, they never said, uh, don't do that. So they, they were pretty, pretty flexible about it. But, you know, like I said, I was kind of figuring out a, as I went, um, where, where the boundaries were. Hmm. That's fascinating. It's a really interesting trial by fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's just jump forward a little bit to ultimate star Wars, which is the newest book. It just came out last month, two months ago, really recently. Um, I'm just curious, you know, f flipping through the book, um, it's beautiful. It's an absolutely gorgeous book, you know, which is we've all sort of come to expect from DK titles. But I'm wondering how much did you, when you were working on it, how much did you refer back to other books that were, you know, quote unquote encyclopedias, such as Steve Sansweet's the huge Star Wars encyclopedia? Um, I have both books and, you know, before we, you know, went on air, I was flipping through the two books and they're very obviously different books. They're totally different books, but they sort of, they approach the same goal from different directions. And I'm just wondering, you know, how, how aware of those other books that, that tried to do the same thing were you when you were working on the book or did you just try to put it out of your mind and do your own thing? Right. Um, yeah, I, through the course of writing the book, I just had piles and piles of uh, books all, all around me that uh, the piles just got bigger as I went. Um, oddly enough, I have never actually looked at uh, the Steve Sansweet's um, encyclopedia. Really? Though I've heard a lot, yeah, I've heard a lot of wonderful things about it, um, but I, I've not actually ever cracked it open. Um, I would love to. Because, uh, you know, looking at things like uh, Wikipedia, I see it's referenced a lot. Yeah. Um, but so that's one book that uh, I didn't didn't have access to. Um, uh, not that I, you know, I wasn't told not to look at it or anything. It's just I don't don't own a copy, but I would love to. Um, but, yeah, I've got uh, I've got piles of other DK books. Um, the, let's see the what's it called. Oops, and there they go. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I've got uh, complete vehicles, um, the complete visual dictionary. Uh, hold on just a second. Let me pick that one up that uh, crashed on the floor. And uh, yeah, I've got uh, just lots of other other uh, reference guides. Uh, some of the art. 
I, I would look at everything. I've got some of the uh, art books, um, the making of books, um, just anything that I could get access to. You know, I've got uh, co even comic book anthologies and things. Um, and the thing is, they this uh, Ultimate Star Wars, it's considered uh, official canon now um, right. after... Uh, after uh, Lucasfilm, you know, has made the decision uh, to sit, you know, kind of lay aside uh, the expanded universe uh, and kind of kind of reboot uh, the canon uh, based on the the six movies and the two animated series. Um, however, um, you know, it's like uh, my co-author writer Wyndham says in his introduction um, that you know, there's all these things. Uh, like uh, like uh, Ewoks, for example, you know we we probably all know what Ewoks are, but that that word is never mentioned in the movies. That's something that we uh, understand from outside the movies, from other other books and comic books and toys and things. And he he gave a, a whole long list of uh, you know these characters and these species that probably just about anyone knows, even if they're not a big fan of the movies they've heard. But yet those things aren't ever mentioned in the movies directly. They come from sources outside. So when you're writing about Star Wars, um, you can't avoid these things. Uh, you can't avoid these references that came from the expanded universe, from the toys and novels and comics and video games. Uh, and questions come up of, you know, what do you, what do you, what am I, what do I write about when I'm writing about, you know, cantina aliens that are only on screen for a few seconds <laughs> or, you know, uh, X-wing pilots, you know, that we, we just hear them, you know, give their one line and then they don't come on screen again. So, uh, you know, yeah, there you, I do end up, you know, referencing little bits of, uh, expanded universe back back in uh, but it's all with with Lucasfilm's uh, oversight uh, and final approval to make sure that you know I we stay on course and you know we don't uh, trot over any any areas that they might want to work with in, in another project um, so but for the most part I you know I they gave us you know free reign there there weren't any real specific uh, instructions um, just you know don't don't cover you know what's what's coming up in uh, movies but uh, that, that wasn't what the book was about anyway so uh, it, that that didn't that wasn't a problem so when you're writing when you're writing the book um, are you purely are you doing it purely off reference and at like almost like academically or is there any time you can take a creative liberty and add add something into it and see if they you know see if they like it or whatever add your own uh, right. little twist to it or whatever yeah um, for for the most part the purpose was to take kind of you know an, an academic uh, approach and kind of be like a, a survey of you know everything that's been done kind of look at it scientifically um, and, and you know as, as to summarize it um, however there you know there are like in my other books there are points you know where you come to where information has never really been fill, filled in before um, where maybe a species name hasn't hasn't been granted or you know a weapon hasn't been given its its model number or you know somebody may not have a a, a home world or uh, something like that where you know we were 
uh, free to you know in, invent some things again with Lucasfilm's uh, approval to make sure it, it all fit in. Um, but yeah, there were uh, oh there were several things. Um, for instance, uh, uh, Ezra's uh, slingshot uh, from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, Ezra's got this uh, electronic slingshot, which was uh, new to Star Wars. Um, but uh, the, we didn't have a, an explanation of where we got it, you know, who made it, uh, how it came to be, what, what the technology was. So I got to, you know, create a little, a little history uh, for that gadget. Um, and there are, there are bits where, um, you know, I, I had to talk about uh, a lot of different planets like uh, Endor and... Um, uh, Cloud City and uh, some other locations and uh, you know I had to talk about you know the, the wildlife and the landscape and uh, so for some things like uh, like Endor I I would actually reference some of the creatures that uh, we've seen in the uh, the Ewok adventures the the TV ser uh, TV hmm. specials from back in the 80s as well as the Ewok uh, cartoons I just you know throw throw a few little creatures uh, into the mix um and yeah oh, sorry, little little things canon? they are they're the, the the creatures are considered canon the the stories uh that the, that they originally were part of that's that that's up to lucasfilm to <laughs> to decide at a later date but but the creatures that uh, that are referenced now are officially part of canon that's that's great um I, i'm wondering so watch out for borax <laughs> I, lo I love those old, old shows. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that they're you know, <laughs> accepted. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, you're, when you're coming at it as an author of this, you know, this huge book that sort of its goal is to compile all the inf all this information about about the Star Wars universe. Did you find it frustrating because they they you you had all of this legends that was that's now off the table so was that frustrating to you that you you couldn't you know there are all these holes that you know okay this has been explained but now it's it's been taken away from me i can't use it to explain you know why we know this character's backstory or where this 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 ship came from or was that freeing to you did you think that if you had had all that legend stuff still on the table that would have been too overwhelming I think it would have been too overwhelming, uh, to be quite honest, because it did. The expanded universe did get very weighty. Yeah. I mean, to I don't I don't know if it's even possible for anybody to know it all anymore. Well, I guess Leland Chi and Pablo Hidalgo that that's their job, but I don't know if there's anybody else out there, you know, that that knows enough about it to to write it, you know, comprehensively, you know, in an encyclopedia, especially in, in the amount of time that uh, we did this, we put it together in just a couple of months, the whole book. Um, so, yeah, I think it would have been, it would have been uh, much too weighty. So in that sense, it, it was very freeing. Um, and most of the entries, you know, they're, they're pretty short and to the point. Uh, so, yeah, so it it wasn't you know a problem. I had had plenty to write about um, otherwise, but uh, every once in a while there there'd be a little one that was difficult. So like uh, 
Momo Nadon or Momo Nadon, the the hammerhead in the cantina. You know, I in his entry, I I do reference you know the EU story about him having a a garden, you know, up up in the hills um, where he uh, he grows stuff. And I I think I mentioned that you know he's a help helps the rebels hides them or something. So that's actually is referenced in his uh, in his bio in the book. So. Part of canon now. Excellent. <laughs> um, so on, you're you're one of four uh, co-authors on this book. So can you talk a little bit about how you guys divided up the work and what you were responsible for? Yeah, um, the the four of us. It was uh, myself and uh, writer Wyndham and Trisha Barr and uh, Dan Wallace. Um, and uh, Trisha Barr, she's uh, got a podcast, uh, Fangirls Going Rogue, um, as well as a fangirl blog, uh, Writer Wyndham, we've mentioned, uh, and Dan Wallace is another uh, veteran uh, Star Wars writer, been, I think, doing this for maybe two decades or so. Um, but, uh, yeah, it uh, a lot of the dividing up uh, came from the publisher. Uh, they just asked us, you know, what, what we were interested in, uh, and I think they had a good idea of our strengths already. Um, since I'd been doing uh, the the Rebels visual guide uh, and worked on a lot of creatures, that was uh, predominantly what, what I got was the Star Wars Rebels era um, and a lot from uh, A New Hope um, and bits from Empire and Return of the Jedi. And I think uh, I think. Dan and Trisha, I think they mostly did the prequels and uh, the Clone Wars, and I think Ryder Wyndham did the uh, majority of the original trilogy stuff. Um, then we had uh, other, besides the, uh, the, uh, the, the kind of encyclopedic, encyclopedic uh, entries for... Um, We've got uh, creatures and characters and uh, locations and uh, technology and gadgets, and then we've got vehicles. But in addition to that, we've got uh, these uh, timelines um, that we all, they're spread throughout the book. Uh, Some of the more important characters have their own timelines, and then in each of these uh, big four categories, uh, we've got timelines that kind of show how, like, uh, the characters... Uh, their own stories have played out through the saga or how technology has, has evolved over time or, you know, what, what's what been happening on, on the planets and locations. Um, but then we've got uh, be- behind-the-scenes uh, pages and uh, that go back and show, you know, concept art and uh, the making of the movies, uh, which is really kind of a unique thing that um, DK started doing. And I don't think uh, a lot of other books do this where they mix the actual in-universe content and the behind the scenes. Usually when you've got a book, it's doing one or the other. They don't mix it up. And I, I think it's really exciting to, to kind of mix it up like this. Um, but then and we've got uh, the key, key elements uh, uh, sections, which uh, kind of take a step back and look at a key point in time in the Star Wars saga and talk about, you know, what's, what's converging at that moment, you know, how, how the, the themes are uh, repeating uh, there and uh, how the, the characters are, are converging and how, how that moment plays in the larger Star Wars story. 
but yeah, so we we all all pretty much did the the stuff that w- that we were interested in personally. So when you're when you're making a book that's as comprehensive as this, is there? I just can't help but think: is there ever a point where you're like deep in it and you're tired and you're just like, oh, no more Star Wars, <laughs> and you just want to kind of fall back? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I think in, inevitably when. Uh, because for me, I'm I'm a little bit of a slow writer, and you know, I'd, I'd work from the time I get up till till the time I go to bed at night. Um, and I I was on that book for about two months, and inevitably, you know, when when you're doing that, you, you do need to take a break <laughs> during the day, and kind of I I look at it as uh, as kind of cleansing the palate, you know, like like when you're having a really good meal, it's still good to uh, you know, change what you're eating, get a different taste in your mouth of something else so you can come back and appreciate what you're doing even more. So, yeah, there's definitely you need a break from time to time. Um, I want to take us in a completely different direction. So, Justin, do you have any other questions about Star Wars? <laughs> no, no, no. I think, that, I think we're good. Um, I want to just sort of take us over to the, you know, the travel guide, take you back to, to when you did that, the travel guide stuff. Um, I've heard various uh, and conflicting reports about the type of work that goes into compiling travel guides and the type of people that are hired to to do that research. Um, and not all of it has been flattering to either the writers or the publisher. Um, and I'm wondering <laughs> if you could just give a quick overview of what actually, since you've done it and you've done it on multiple titles, um, just a quick overview of, you know, what's involved when you're sent on an assignment, what support you get, you know, how transparent are you with the places that you're reviewing and possibly listing in the book, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I've worked, uh, in travel guides for about a dozen different publishers. So I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm, I'm focusing on, on one or what I say as, you know, representative about a particular one for, for better or for worse. Um, so I'll just say that at the outset. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess there's, there's two, from my perspective, there's two kinds of travel writers. There's the travel writers that live in the destinations that they write about. And then there's the travel writers that stay at home and they travel to the place uh, to write about it. And when they're done, they go back home. Um, to be honest, I have no idea how those travel writers do what they do. I don't know how it, it works for them to live in the U.S. and then travel to another country and then go back. Right. Um, from a finan- from a financial sta- standpoint, because publishers... They don't pay for very much for what the I most understand. part. They no, they don't. It is <laughs> it is a pittance. Yeah. Um, the as a travel writer, the way I was able to make it economically feasible was because I was living in a third world country where the cost of living is it's it's negligible, um, and I was getting you know so much work for the the same the same regions uh, that I was able to kind of double up on Mm. on what I was doing uh, so that, you know, I could focus on all the research on one thing. And so I was able to make it work that way. Um, 
but yeah, it uh, pays very low. Um, deadline is very short. You know, there were several times where I would, you know, get an email from a publisher just a week before they wanted me to start. Um, and uh, and they would, you know, they want a whole country, you know, written about <laughs> in two months for yeah. a new book, you know. Of course, written, start traveling. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, please start next week and have it done in two months. Um <laughs> And there were a few books that I actually did that were like that because um, I, I always, you know, wanted the work. Um, but some stuff, though, that they – well, there's a lot of stuff where the money and the deadline just for traveling at all – um, so what I'll, I'll, some publishers, they're just relying on the fact that somebody like me uh, actually, uh, you know, that I live there, they're, they're presuming that I've already done, you know, my traveling in, in the past year or two. Um, so they're taking advantage on, of the knowledge that I already have rather than paying to, to send me out again. Right. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot of pretty much in, in my own free time. I did all my traveling, you know, with my own money. You know, I take a week here or two weeks there in between books, and I do do the traveling myself. I, I pick, you know, when I manage to have some free time, I pick a place that, you know, that I'd never been, more that that I really wanted to to go and check out, and I would just go, you know, take take notes and take photos and just presume that I'm going to be writing and. Then uh, while I'm actually doing the, the the travel guides, I'm sitting at home uh, or sitting in a cafe and, and writing it all then and not actually traveling most of the time while I'm actually, you know, working on the books, books themselves. Yeah. So I'm asking this question from uh, – I'm a photographer, so I'm just curious. Do they, do they send photographers out for these type of books or is it something you're doing as well as the writing when you're traveling? Um, for most books, uh, publishers will either hire a separate photographer or they will use, um, you know, some photo stock service like, uh, I don't know if, if my, I don't know if any of my publishers specifically use them, but just as a, a theoretical example, I'll say somebody like Getty, um, uh, you know, that the, has their own photographers feeding in photos. Um, so they've usually got someone separate. However, um, if it's, you know, just an update rather than a new book and it's something really fast and they don't need very many photos, if I can provide them, um, then they may take them for me uh, for something really quick. Magazine articles and and web articles are very different, though. Um, quite often, they would they would expect me as a travel writer to also provide my own, and you may get paid extra for that, or you may not. It may just be part of part of the package. Very interesting. Um, we chatted a bit offline beforehand about your travels and experiences and stuff overseas. And you had already mentioned that you lived in Vietnam for seven years. 
Um, and I'm just curious what brought you there specifically and more importantly to my mind, um, and I'll explain this in a second if I need to, what kept you there for seven years? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, and I, and I know what you're asking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I... Uh, yeah, as I said, I, I went to see uh, see a relative, and uh, um, after that, uh, just went traveling around. And I never actually intended to go to Vietnam. Um, to be honest, I, I wasn't interested at all. Um, I um, I guess I was I was never drawn to Vietnam. The war era was, you know, I was born in, so it was. Growing up, it, it was it wasn't a, a big focus of my understanding um, of what happened before I was born. Um, so it, it was just just another country. Um, so I wasn't actually intending to go there, but uh, when I got to Cambodia, they were having elections, and I didn't know if it was safe or not because um, I'd heard the year before of a ruckus in Phnom Penh. So I decided um, when I found out, when I got to town and found out that they were having elections, I thought, well, maybe since I don't know anything about what's going on, maybe I'll just go to Vietnam uh, and uh, get a stamp on my passport just for and uh, wait and make sure the elections are okay, and then I'll go back to Cambodia. Um, but I, I got to Saigon, and uh, it was – it's <laughs> – it's it's anyone that's been knows what a shock it is when you uh, first hit Vietnam because it's so different from the surrounding countries. It is so loud, um, so rushed. There's so much crazy, crazy traffic. Um, it's kind of particularly in Saigon more than Hanoi, which is much, much quieter, um, though people landing there for the first time, I know I've heard they, they feel like they have they they often have the same experience um, yeah. but it's it it's a sh it's a shock to the system and very you know spastic and uh, I remember getting in in my uh, hotel and my first evening there I'd only been there a few minutes and everybody was yelling and screaming and fighting and throwing things and it, it was <laughs> it was just wild there's nothing nothing like uh, neighboring Cambodia and uh, you know I go out on the street and people are you know, they're wanting money for this or that, you know, wanting me to buy stuff. It's, people are very aggressive uh, to, to foreigners, particularly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I wasn't real keen on Saigon, but uh, I'd heard about uh, this uh, beach town, Wene, uh, on the coast. Uh, so it's, it sounded nice and peaceful and hadn't been developed. So... Uh, I decided to go out there for the weekend and then then go back to Saigon and maybe back to Cambodia. But I got there and uh, it was just so nice, um, so peaceful, um, hardly any tourists at all, just a few guest houses, um, just really beautiful and idyllic, you know, palm trees and, and uh, uh, you know, big sandy beaches that were completely empty and uh, all the seafood you could eat for just pennies. 
I just I just loved it. I loved the food. I, I loved the people there. Loved the scenery. Um, it's a it was a bit. Uh, it's a strange uh, setting because the landscape there it's actually a desert, uh, which is not what people expect of Vietnam. It was the landscape is more like uh, New Mexico and Arizona and Southern California. You know, really dry, rolling sand dunes, rocky mountains, um, cactus and and scrub. Um, but I'd lived in Arizona before, so so I loved it and I fit right in. Um, but I just uh, I got there and I didn't want to leave. Um, so I, I stayed, um, and, uh, year, year by year it passed. Uh, but sure enough, this, this tiny little idyllic, uh, town in the middle of nowhere on, on the seaside turned into Vietnam's, uh, biggest resort, <laughs> uh, development area in the entire, in the entire country. Um, so it, uh, it kind of grew out of, <laughs> out of, uh, what it was when I got there. Um, but uh, I had a wonderful time. Um, all of, uh, uh, you know, all of my free time, I would uh, I just hop on my motorbike and drive out into the countryside. Uh, I just picked a spot on the map that I'd never been uh, that, that sounded cool, and I'd just go. And, um, you know, I'd go off off into the mountains and uh, leave my motorbike at, you know, the villages and go hiking down the trails and find some waterfall, you know, up, up in the mountains and go swimming for the afternoon and, you know, ha have a pic picnic in the jungle, um, you know, with exotic animals and birds and things running around. Um, or, I'd, you know, I'd go visit hill tribes uh, and I'd make friends uh, in the villages from repeated visits, you know, off, off in the middle of nowhere in the jungle and, but I'd get to know people. And so, you know, on repeat visits, they'd invite me to have dinner with them in their house or, you know, stay the night. Um, and I find, uh, you know, temp ancient temple ruins from, you know, thousands of years ago uh, that had never been documented. You know, I, I, find those while I was poking around. So it was really, really exciting. And it, it actually, it goes back to uh, one of the things that I consciously thought about. You know, when I graduated from college, I really wanted to work for Lucasfilm really bad. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to do Star Wars or Indiana Jones or something. And, you know, I my skill set has changed a lot, evolved. You know, I, I've done music, uh, composed music uh, and uh, art and, you know, computer programming and things. And so I'd apply for different jobs, you know, and I get phone interviews, but never, you know, never got an actual job. And uh, I just sent in so many resumes over the years, but never got anything. So, you know, I kind of thought, well, if I can't work for Lucasfilm, if I can't work at the company, I'm going to have my own Indiana Jones adventures. <laughs> and I'm going to go, you know, overseas and I'm going to have my own fun. So, I, you know, looking back on it, I can't believe I did all that. Uh, so I actually went overseas and I had my own Indiana Jones adventures in my free time. And I remember so many times, you know, off off on my motorbike, you know, in, in the mountain roads, you know, driving through the jungle or, you know, stopping for lunch somewhere and just thinking my life is better than a movie. You know, yeah. <laughs> my life is better than, than a, a National Geographic article. I would rather do this than you know, go, go watch a movie or go watch National Geographic because this is better. 
Um, and that's a, that says nothing about me or, or who I am. It's, it's just that the experience that I was having was so wonderful that I was blessed with. Um, that I was appreciating the experience that you know that I'd been given, so it was it was a really exciting time in my life. Um, yeah. But the one of the the problems of living in those kind of countries, there are a lot of problems, a lot of challenges. Um, is it does wear on you after a while. It is it is it is a hard place to live. You know, um, it's hard to fit in to a foreign culture, uh, you know, foreign language that's extremely different. Uh, Health-wise, you know, there was dengue fever and malaria and parasites and, um, you know, and hurricanes and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I would get sick, really sick, really bad. Um, and it just, it wears on you. So it's it's nice to come back to civilization and to the, the comfortable life and, you know, to fit back in and, you know, not have to worry about, you know, some of the life and death situations that I'd have to deal with, you know, over there in a third world communist country. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear good stories. Really quickly, my experience with Vietnam is I was living in China um, and uh, my wife and I, we backpacked all over Asia and uh, we crossed over from Yunnan into Northwest Vietnam and so we sort of worked our way down the country and we right i mean up in the uh the northwest it was gorgeous i mean it's all mountains and everything up there but then once we hit hanoi it was just sort of like it all went downhill real fast and i'm not going to bore everybody with stories now <laughs> um but it, it really right. you know our experience in hanoi really soured um both of us on the entire trip and but i mean we we pushed on and we you know we went all the way down and we had some some pleasant experiences and um, we enjoyed Saigon, you know, Ho Chi Minh City. We enjoyed that a bit more. Um, but you know, you're talking about just getting on your motorbike and going, and that was probably the best day that we had in Vietnam. We were just so fed up with Hanoi that we uh, we just rented a motorbike, and we just I've never ridden a motorcycle before in my life. And I like the guy. We, we just we just some guy on the street, you know, and he's like, "Want to rent my bike for the day?" And we're like, okay. And like, he just showed me really quickly how to use it. And, you know, and we just took off and we just, we just started riding these back dirt roads and, you know, we'd come around the corner of a hill of a mountain and be like, there's this little village and we just go off, you know, into the village and just go explore. And so I can really see the appeal of that. If you had your own bike and you could just do that every day, that would, that would be, that would be amazing. But uh, our trip picked up a lot once, once we got over to Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I totally miss the, you know, the smell of coffee bean or coffee flowers, you know, in the mountains after after a rain. Um, and I miss the smell of the jungle, you know, that that pungent, uh, just really earthy and plants and flowers and everything mixed in. I miss a lot of the smells and I miss the food and just. Waking up in the morning and the the sunlight looks different. The light is different there. I don't know what it is. If it's you know the angle of the the sun, the ratio to the earth, or, or the atmosphere, I don't know. But the light, you know, even the light is different there. And I miss I miss all those little things. But uh, I I totally know what you mean um, uh, about the frustrations of uh, landing in Vietnam. And I would get really frustrated from time to time and, and really mad sometimes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people um, 
rightly so, you know, complain about the, the scamming and the, the hassling and the aggressiveness. And it's everything's about money and M- much more so you're a than, foreigner. Yeah. And it's much more so than any of the other places. And it wasn't the, you know, the, the craziness or the chaos of the traffic. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I lived in China, you know, so you, like nothing can beat that. We, right. went to, we went to India, which even which beats even China just in terms of just mass chaos. But uh, yeah, Vietnam, it was just. And I don't want to rag on it, but it just it feel it's like the best word I could explain our experience. And clearly this isn't for everybody, but it's just unpleasant. It was just an unpleasant right. experience that we had. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people come away with with that <laughs> unpleasant experience. Um, and I don't I don't know what it is about Vietnam that that makes it different in that way from the other countries. Um, you know, I. Sometimes I think it could be, you know, the communism and the war and the horrible experience, you know, that a lot of them had to live through after the U.S. left um, and they had to, you know, cope with the, the new communist regime. A lot of, you know, a lot of people starved and had, had to scrape for a living. Um, and so I think some of it came from that possibly. But then on the other hand, you know, China went through communism, Cambodia, they went through the Khmer Rouge and the, the genocide there. So I don't know if that explains it all. I, I think yeah. there's just some some cultural and historical differences. But uh, fortunately, for my own experience, I was able to obviously to, to get past that other other in uh, in my own situation. Otherwise, I don't think I, I would have stayed either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I enjoyed uh, for me I think a lot of it too is getting um, away from the city. Uh, I didn't didn't like Saigon so much. I liked Hanoi a lot better than Saigon personally, um, but because it was more I felt it was more quiet and laid back. But I, I spent most of my time uh, in the countryside and small villages. I I just hang out with my friends in the villages all the time yeah. or or up in the mountains rather than the uh, metropolises. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad. It is nice to hear sometimes, you know, when you have a bad experience with something or somewhere, it is good to hear that it's not the same for everybody and that there are good things to be found there. It's just, unfortunately, we didn't find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Justin, did sure. you have anything else? I don't think so. I think we covered everything that we needed to. Excellent. So, Adam, did you want to? Um, this is this is your time to plug away. Sure. Uh, well, let's see. I've got uh, some events coming up uh, this coming weekend, um, June Friday, June fifth. I will be in uh, Chicago at um, the the bookstall at Chestnut Court for a book signing there. Um, and then Saturday, June 6th, I will be in Joliet, just outside Chicago, uh, for the Joliet Public Library's um, annual Star Wars Festival, which is really big. There will be lots of other um, Star Wars folks there. I know John Jackson Miller, uh, the author of A New Dawn, uh, Dave Dorman, a uh, really well-known Star Wars artist, wow. and a bunch of other uh, people will be there. And I... I'm told the 501st will have a really big showing uh, in costume. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun for the Star Wars Festival. And uh, then I've got books coming out. Um, let's see. In the beginning of July, I've got this, uh, Star Wars Lego Into Battle. 
and then I will be at uh, San Diego Comic Con uh, in mid-July, and I'll, I'll be signing books, DK Star Wars books there. Uh, and then in the fall, um, I've got uh, a new book, uh, Star Wars Absolutely Everything You Need to Know, uh, which is going to be another uh, great big, uh, hopefully best-selling uh, Star Wars book. Um, and that's part of the, their journey to The Force Awakens uh, marketing uh, publicity book campaign for the fall. Uh, and then I've, I'll have other things coming out. Uh, probably later in the year after that so a busy year for me fantastic um thank you so much for coming how can people find you online uh the best place to find me is uh, uh on twitter at author adam bray um all one word and uh, i've got a website uh, adambray.com that's uh, it's mostly uh kind of a landing page with uh, links to other things that i'm doing excellent Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. I could probably talk to you for another hour um, just about travel stuff. Um, <laughs> but we'll save that for another time. All right. That's it for this week. Um, definitely make sure you check out the Geek Dad post. Um, if you're on it right now and you can follow the links to Adam's profiles, check out his books. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at the GBB podcast. And on Facebook, we are facebook.com slash GBB show. I am at 140 Justin C on all platforms and Jamie. You I am at the Roarbots on all platforms. Perfect. Uh, and guys, if you're liking what you hear, if you like the show, please leave us a review on the iTunes. Um, it helps us with the ranking. It helps us uh, get the word out. And if anybody's curious about the show, they can see that other people actually listen and like it. Um, and it's not just a be the first to review this show. Um, <laughs> So uh, that would be very much appreciated. So thanks, guys. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. And we were just to say, I know this is a super long episode, but we were so happy with the response from last week. It was really nice to know we're just not talking to the interweb and <laughs> to nobody. So it was cool getting all your reactions uh, about Jamie's thoughts. And join us again next week for Jamie's thoughts on Star Wars Weekends. Going to be very interesting. Stay tuned and come back. (laughs) Have a great week, guys. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. The intro music on our show is provided by Key Theory. Go to kitheory.com.